Well, I am excited for Stories of the Saints, Episode 9 today. We have a guest here, a guy that I have known for quite some time, all the way back to my camping days when I was young, and um, and I've had the privilege of going to church with him and his wife uh, over the last 11, 12 years, his family. Um, most of you know him. Some of you that don't know him will know him real good, hopefully by the end of this hour, but uh, I just want to welcome my guest today, Brother Aaron Rhodes. Aaron, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Enjoy, enjoy hanging out with you. We have set a record today for the earliest podcast, I think, since we started. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear Corey and I say we started early today, but it's not uh, It's not in the sevens. It's usually in the eight or nine area in the morning. So we have gotten up early, uh, found out, just talking with Aaron a little bit before we started, we are both morning people. Um, he likes to get up early. What, tell me about the morning for you. What's it like? What's it? What's that? Why do you like that time of day? Well, I've got a couple key things that I like about the morning. One is that uh, very often there's not many others active at that moment. So if I'm working, I can get focused work in, which um, for my job is very helpful. Um, I do computer programming and uh, in the computer programming world, there's a um, people talk about being uh, in, you know, focused in programming um, and that, that focus, you, you get into this zone almost where it's almost like the rest of the world has, has faded away for a little bit. It's dimmed and you're just focusing on the, the code that you're writing. And uh, as soon as somebody speaks to you, it goes away. And so I like that. But so to be, to be able to start early in the morning, I get a little bit of that time. Also, most of my clients are over in Kansas. And so uh, it's a little better now, but the Grandview Triangle is just horrible um, after like 6.30. So I like to get past the Grandview Triangle before all the traffic. So for me, both of those things work in my favor. That's cool. That's cool. We both said, even on my day off, I usually get up earlier than when I'm working. It's my favorite time of day. I read, a, um, there was this book out about morning and productivity um, that's on my list to read, but there's some YouTube videos and stuff anyway, but the morning time to me is just a sweet, sweet time when, um, I guess if I was perfectly transparent, I haven't interacted with any other humans yet to set me off course. So (laughs) 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 at least I, I feel like I'm a little more charitable, you know, sometimes those things add up during the day, but anyway, well, Aaron, welcome. I wanted to uh, just ask you really quick. So, um, Talk to me about your wife, because she's also a member of the church, and you guys have served really as a unit for some time. How did you meet your wife, and how long have you been married? Um, well, let's see. We we were married in 2003, so we're coming up on 17 years uh, this year. Goodness. Man, it goes by quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we met at a, a common friend of ours' house, Jeff Anger, um, we, I think we'd technically met the summer before, but uh, just in passing. But he was having a, a Memorial Day party, and um, I kind of walked. I'd heard the some people come in, and I walked around the corner, and it was like this glow around her, like, what? <laughs> it's just almost like you see in the movies. I mean, it, it was real life for me, and um, I didn't know that that, really, that sort of thing really happened, but it did for me. And... Um, so for the rest of the party, pretty much 
I was finding any excuse to to sit close by and a bunch of people playing spades. And so she was watching one of those games. And so I sat down and was watching and we were just chatting and then they had to leave. So they asked, well, you guys want to jump in and finish their hand? Sure. And we lost horribly because we <laughs> really had no thoughts other than just talking to each other. And Wow. So, and the next day another friend had a Memorial Day party and we went to that and, uh, and it's just, it seems like all of that, all that summer, it was nearly every day we hung out and. That was it, huh? Yeah. I mean, you guys met and that would just hit it off. Yeah. Wow. And so, so if I asked her the same question, you think similar story? Um, she, she would point to that same day uh-huh. though. I didn't have a halo in her story. So <laughs> I, I, apparently, I, apparently I didn't dress as well or something. I don't know. Well, your, your family is a real blessing to us at, at, uh, where we go to church. Tell me about, um, and you don't have to name your name if you don't want to, but tell me about your children because you've, you've, uh, participated in adoption and tell me how that came about. Well, so, um, our story of adoption starts even before, um, we were married, Megan and I were dating and she said, well, you know, just, you know, you need to know heads up that, um, I've always had this desire to adopt. And, um, you know, at that point she probably could have asked for anything and I would have agreed, but, <laughs> you know, I looked, you know, she asked, you know, would you be open to adoption? And I, and I looked in my heart and I realized, yeah, actually I can't imagine, um, biology making me love a person, one of my kids more than having made a commitment to love them. And it's not that much different than, you know, my wife, she is a part of me and it's because I made a commitment, not because we share biology. So I I just realized, yeah, I could, I can love a kid, um, my kids, regardless of biology. And so we, um, after getting married, we discovered that we had some issues in having kids, um, at least initially. And so it was like God had really been working in her life, um, from the very beginning or as, as early as she can remember. So we made a plan for adoption and adopted our, our first son came in and, um, my goodness, he is such a fun kid. Um, and a, a few years later we, we had in our minds, um, kind of an ideal separation between a, a separate age, age separation. And so we adopted a, a second child and, um, the, the, the issues that we had in having kids, God resolved, and um, then we were able to have a child by birth. And um, I think initially, we Megan wanted a large family, and we said, well, maybe four to six kids. And after we had one, we said, oh, wow, that's a lot of work. So <laughs> maybe, maybe three to four. <laughs> and after we had our third, we said, this is it. We are done. <laughs> so I, I think we're done. That's... So when you adopted Cayman, did you um, did you have plans to adopt another at that time, or did you say did you have in your mind like how many you wanted to adopt, or did that kind of come about after your first experience? We I don't know that we had a firm plan like we want to adopt this many and we want to have this many by birth. Um, we just had agreed and we knew kind of we wanted to have a mix. Um, there's you know, just so many kids who grow up and have, um, for whatever their life circumstances, they don't have their biological parents. 
And yet um, there are some who, either because God's blessed them that way or whatever, um, or by choice, they have the capacity to bring um, another person into their life, and biology doesn't matter to them. And um, those kids, those kids need families. They shouldn't shouldn't live alone. Um, but the thing, you know, the interesting thing is that's the, the intellectual side. Like, yeah, these there are kids that need homes, but once once came and came into our life, it was no longer about oh he needed a home. It was he's my son. Like. There's no, there's no difference in my mind. Mm. And so um, before it was this kind of intellectual exercise. Yeah, kids need homes. And, but now I can't imagine him not being my, in my home. Yeah, I can't. Um, I think it was last Sunday I was coming into the church, and I believe it was your a daughter was uh, handing out bulletins. Lena, yeah. Yeah. So um, she handed me a um, a bulletin, and I was just reminded at that moment um, what a blessing they are, and I can't imagine them not being a part of the uh, our church family. And she, you know, she was just there, and she's been there as long as I can remember. You know, in the last how many years, and um, and I don't, yeah, it's just pretty neat. Um, this isn't this episode is not about me by any means, but I <clears throat> kind of relate because my son's adopted. I adopted my son, but. Um, we didn't go through an agency. He was my wife's child, you know, his dad died when he was very young and doesn't remember him, but we actually had that conversation last week and you just put into words beautifully, um, about not, you know, how biology probably couldn't make you love anyone more when you've committed to it. And, and we talked about it really for the first time just last week. But anyway, um, he said, no, I just always look at you as my dad and I can't imagine looking at him like I was in my mind. I guess I go through the exercise like if he was actually of my flesh and blood, would would I love him more? Would I love him less? Would it be different? And I came to the conclusion anyway, in my finite mind, I can't imagine yeah. him anymore. Yeah. So, well, hey, uh, so was that a um, the process of adoption? Ugh, it's got to be tons of paperwork. Um, did it feel like a burden that part of it, or you know, tell um, me about that? My wife is a very organized mm-hmm. person. She she makes lists, she plans, and uh, she just handled it. I I can't. I probably would have buckled under the pressure, and and I mean, I could tell that there were moments where she was stressing about this document or that document, but. Um, she made it look easy. Mm. She's she was really good. Uh, I mean, there were there were obviously things that we had to chase down. Like I had to get birth certificates from Washington and um, just different things. Like, but anyway, there's there's paperwork. Yeah. So, your one. Do you care to say where your children are from that you adopted? So yeah, Cayman is from uh, Guatemala, and my my daughter Lena. Uh, is from Texas. Um, we we went to Texas because at that time uh, Guatemala had closed adoptions um, to well, basically to NOG non Hague Convention countries. And the United States is a non Hague Convention country at this at this point. Um, and so we, we couldn't adopt from Guatemala our second time, but we wanted uh, for Cayman. Um, someone else in the family who had a similar heritage. And so we thought, well, it's probably a fair uh, 
percentage in Texas. And so we went down to Texas and uh, Lena's uh, birth parents um, are from uh, Mexico and uh, anyway, partially from Mexico. So um, they're both Hispanic, um, but they're from different countries. Right. Can I ask you this? So, our, our viewers can't see you, but you and your wife are very, very fair skinned. You've we got, are, you've yeah. still got a nice head of red hair. Um, have you been out in public with your uh, biological daughter, who is also very fair skinned, and then you've got um, your other two children who are Hispanic? Has that ever opened up any um, conversations, or have people ever asked, or do people just uh, is is our culture today just such that it's kind of normal, or what has that experience been like? We've never been asked, um, though I, I wondered if I would get questions when uh, Cayman and I went on a 10-year-old trip. So for my kids, I want to do for each one of them a trip when they're 10, just me and my kid, and spend some time and have some fun. That's awesome. So when Cayman was 10, we did that. And so here I am traveling you know, with my son, and I wondered if somebody would say, Hey, what do you, what do you, where are you going with him? Like, it's just, right. he's my son. Like he'll tell <laughs> you. Like, um, and, uh, when Lena is 10, I wonder if there will be, I wonder if that might even be more just cause, uh, she's a girl. Right. And so we'll see. Um, I brought passports. Like the, <laughs> if I have to demonstrate that she's my daughter or, or he was my son, like I was prepared, but that's not a bad idea really. Yeah. Seriously, with things going on today. Well, interesting. Uh, any advice to anyone that's contemplating adoption that's maybe on the fence or thinks, can I do this? Or it's too much work, you know, just the paperwork aspect or, um, you know, will I be able to? Well, you've already addressed that. Will you be able to love them? But any advice? Um, well, I would I would say, you know, to look in your heart. Like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm unique in that recognition that, uh, I could love any someone, even regardless of biology. Um, some people think that they do love their flesh and blood more, and for me, just it's it's not that. It's um, but so I would I would say that that's an important thing. We um, uh, a child deserves to have um, the love and affection of their parents, and. Um, but as far as the paperwork, I mean, a- agencies help you through that. They say you need to get this and this, and you know, it's you got to chase it all down, uh, and that's effort. But it's not a ton of effort comparatively to having a kid, so um, it's not too bad. Financial wise, is are there um, organizations out there to help with cost or help offset cost or even provide loans or anything if people can't swing the um, the cost right up front? I'm. I believe that there are. Um, I had a, a decent job, so I wouldn't. I didn't qualify for any of those. Right. So I didn't end up. Um, I couldn't say where to go to look for those, but I believe that there are. Okay. Well, thank you. That's a that's a great intro into uh, just into our show today. Um, shows your love and uh, dedication you and your wife have um, to just your hearts to be willing to do that. I wanted to also bring up a number of years ago. Well, so you said you've already mentioned you're a computer programmer. Yeah. 
So you've done, um, and we'll put a show link, we'll put a link in our notes, but you've done, uh, you've got a website. Um, tell me about zionbound.org and, and uh, you actually paved the way as far as people actually know doing a podcast. You did a number of podcasts that um, you invited me on as a guest a couple of times. Tell me about zionbound.org. Uh, Zionbound is a dot com. Oh, sorry, um, sorry. No problem. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that. Okay. Um, Jeff Anger and David Gilmore and I um, had uh, an idea. Uh, it was, first, it was Jeff's idea, and then he says that later the the method of implementing it was my idea, and I, I want to share equally in the blame. I think that <laughs> we all – it was we worked on it together. We had this um, – this idea, Jeff's idea first, still it's, he's got to have a little bit broad shoulders for the, having the idea. <laughs> it's a good idea to make a pocket-sized Book of Mormon. And that was um, something we looked around and we said, you know, this used to exist and it doesn't now. And so uh, we knew that was going to take a lot of money. So we chose to um, – we, we bought a screen printing press and we made T-shirts for camps and reunions and pretty much whoever wanted them. Uh, to raise the money so that we could print uh, a pocket-sized Book of Mormon. Created a company, Zionbound, for that purpose. And um, uh, as we were getting closer to being able to print, we had solicited a bunch of people to who had a similar passion for the scriptures to proof it with us, um, to try to get the text as uh, as accurate as possible to the 1908 edition of the Book of Mormon. And... Um, and we realized we were going to want an index. And um, so I found a, an electronic copy of the text and being a, a programmer, I thought, well, I'll, I'll create an index. Uh, and so I stuffed all the verses into a database and um, was doing an analysis on it. And pretty close uh, uh, in that process, I discovered, well, I've got a pretty decent search engine now. And so um, I went ahead and put that on zionbound.com uh, where I could, I could do scripture search uh, with that. Uh, at the time, there were, there were a couple other options, and um, sometimes they would get bogged down, like on a Saturday night. You know, right. I assumed you know people are preparing for sermons <laughs> or whatever, and so they're yeah. using it a bunch. And uh, Zion Bound at the time uh, had the benefit of not everybody knew about it, so it was fast, and it still seems to to run pretty quickly. Um, so that was kind of how that um, came about. We ended up printing the Pocket Size Book of Mormon, and and I think we've done two reprints since then. Most of the people who have wanted one have purchased one, and we've got a little stock left. I don't know that we'll do another reprint anytime soon. But um, so the the website now is primarily the, the search engine. Okay, yeah, and then. On your website, do you? I believe you still have a links to your podcast that you guys did. Oh yeah, for so you mentioned that. So while we were doing all that and we were getting together for screen printing fairly often, we thought, hey, you know, there's a, a gap. We don't see these kind of podcasts at the time, and uh, so we thought, well, let's let's record. And John Anderson um, lived in the area at that time and had a, some passion for. Um, or sound and 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 so he was the one who would record and and um, touch things up for us and and then we got all busy and so we haven't done anything in a while but right 
Someone asked me the other day about that. Uh, I think Samuel did when he was here. He, he remembered that. Uh, and you guys had me on a couple of times. I think my wife shared her testimony on one of those. If I find the link, I may put that. I'll just link that to sure. share. Well, if they go to Zionbound, they'll yeah, find Yeah, Zionbound.com will we'll, we'll find that. Um, so that's very cool. I mean, of course, yeah, like you said, my partner in crime, Corey's got a search engine um, and um, and you guys have one. I love the font on yours. Um You've used your talents. When people say that you, so the pocket, uh, pocketbook of Mormon, number one, how many uh, missionaries and things have come and taken those? So, so much easier to carry oh, o- yeah. overseas. Mm-hmm. So I know you've had people use, probably take boxes over. Yeah. yeah. Yep. How many did you print? Oh, goodness. Um, I think the first time we printed uh, like 10,000. Okay. Uh, David Gilmore, uh, was is more of our numbers person on that end. So he could, he would probably correct me like, Oh no, we did 4,000 of these and of the papers and a thousand of the leather. I I don't remember all the numbers quite well, but I want to say that we're right around the 10, 10 to 12,000 mark. And you're down to just not, not so many left. Um, we, we're, um, I I think we're, we're at probably a thousand right now. Okay, I was, to make an estimate. So if, and if people want to purchase these, they can get them at the Book of Mormon Foundation. Yes. They sell them here mm-hmm. in town. Um, Price Publishing, do they have them or not? I believe that they have some. I thought I saw one in yeah. there. Um, if not, scratch that. But um, <laughs> the Book of Mormon Foundation, you can Google that. Um, I can put a link in there to the store, actually. Um, we've done that before. So, so I just want to tell for our listeners, when you say, you know, we were printing T-shirts and raising money, let me... I'll try to give a, a visual because, and I don't want to act like I had a lot of in that, but one time I was invited over to help, <laughs> and you kind of sacrificed your garage for quite a while. I mean, I walked into your garage, and it wasn't like, I, I pictured like it was like this little uh, box, you know, you'd press down and do a t-shirt and move on. You had this huge contraption. How many t-shirts could you print at once? So it was a, a four-head okay. um, press, and... Um, I, I I inherited from my father um, this mentality: if you're going to get a tool, you should get a quality tool. <laughs> and I, there were certainly ones that you could get that were tabletop, and um, you could do one t-shirt at a time. And I thought, we don't want to do that. We got we got hundreds of shirts to make, and so we got. And I figured when we're done, we can resell this thing. It's it's not a problem. So we bought a, a large. One um, it stood up by itself. It had four uh, bases, or where you could do so. You could do four shirts at a time, and it had four heads, uh, so you could do four colors at a time. At a time, nice. Um, and th- which is important when you're doing it uh, the way we were, because you can line up the four colors, and they can, and they can lay down uh, accurately. Um, if you try to do one head and then uh, switch that head for the second color, it's really hard. To line them up. Yeah. So so more efficient. <clears throat> right. More at a time. Yes. But we, also more space. <laughs> it, yes. It took one whole bay of my garage. Right. Um, and it was a deep bay. Like yeah. <laughs> I've since moved and you know, my my garage in my in my current house is large, but not as large as that previous garage. Didn't you have a drying machine or something yeah, that we, you then put them through? Yes, we had a like rollers. Like I remember things coming down a roller, and we were mm-hmm. folding and boxing. And oh yeah, <laughs> it was 
the 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 dryer was we called it the pizza oven because it, you know it had a, a conveyor belt and you'd put a shirt in one side and nice you would set the speed and the temperature uh i guess there was only one temperature but anyway you'd set the the speed so that it would bake the right amount of time and it would come out and fall into a box on the other side and we could uh, we we could usually within uh, like an hour run through all the shirts for a camp say mm-hmm. um, now there's prep time you know there was a half hour to an hour of prep time usually for a batch but um, yeah we we could run through them pretty quickly and so the camping organization would then purchase these shirts from you and then that was how you raised money for the to print the Book of Mormon right yeah. so uh, Central Missouri camps and RCI camps. Uh, we went to both of them and said, "Hey, you know, this is what we're doing. We're trying to uh, raise money for this this printing. If you care to to buy shirts from us, we'd be happy to do them for you. You know, we're going to go at market rate um, because our interest is to raise money for this right. printing. Um, and the kids, I mean, you want to provide shirts for the kids anyway. Right, so yeah. if it's kind of a win win, we can make the shirts instead of giving money to the world or whatever. Exactly. Give money to us. You're raising money for the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And the kids are still getting their shirts. Exactly. Yeah." And uh, we, so we went down the path of trying to get a five hundred one c three designation from the IRS, and they said, they said, so wait a second, you're going to sell shirts and you're going to sell books. This sounds like a for profit organization. We'd already organized uh, with the state as a nonprofit, but we didn't get tax exempt status, so it was like kind of this limbo organization. I know it was a lot of work, but. Was there some joy um, working together, coming oh together? Oh my goodness, for, that was so much fun. I remember la- lots of laughter the one time I was there. Now, I'm not seeing all of the other work behind the scenes. You know, I came in for a few hours and left, but what was that like working together? Uh, it was it was a ton of fun. I mean, any any job is a job, and it can, you know, there's effort, and there were times that it was late nights, but um, it was fun, and uh, I grew up, my mother had an adage that any job is more fun with friends. And it is so true. We, this, we had so much fun. And when we were, when we had reached our goal and we sold our, our printing press, we all had this sadness, like, man, miss, we miss doing it. Right. Um, we, we, we have regretted selling the printing press. Not, we didn't have another project on the horizon and I wanted my garage back, but, (laughs) um, we have missed that. Yeah. Well, that so that brings me into um, that's a great segue into camping. So I think probably some of the earliest memories I have because I grew up in Ohio, coming out to um, Independence to go to youth camps uh, through the end of my high school and even into my older adult uh, era. The name Bill and Sarah Lee Rhodes were some of the first names that became familiar to me. So your mom and dad have been instrumental in the camping scene in the church for, I mean, I don't know, decades, not years. I mean, for a long time. Was it as like growing up from the time you were a young child, they were involved? Is that They how, were. Yeah. Um, some, in fact, some of the stories that they tell were of doing camps in Washington before they gathered. So the, camping was was something that they had done for a while. When they, when they came here there and the church split, uh, they realized there was that the restoration needed camps, and so they pulled together a number of their friends and said, "Hey, let's do this." And um, they did. So, you know, through the years, um, I you know I, I remember them having meetings in the in the living room, and um, it just I mean it just was it was like it was just part of us. It was mm-hmm. you know 
you know, there was another RCI meeting. Okay. And we had to be quiet and, you know, not interrupt. And then pretty soon they would meet elsewhere and we were older and we could, you know, take care of ourselves. And so they would go and do that and we would just hang out. But, um, yeah, it just seems like it was just a thing you do. I mean, uh, giving time to, to the Lord's work is just something that is, is was a given for us. Ch- uh, people, um, I say children, we're not children anymore. People <laughs> your age and my age and even older now have children who are in, in camping age and uh, even beyond that, their children, generations have been touched by their work. I mean, any anyone that's gone to a camp in this area or even from outside of this area that have come in and gone to a camp have uh, been touched by Bill and Sarah Lee. It was just, it was amazing what... We're not talking about just directing a camp, but setting up many camps for all ages. Um, and then, obviously, you have carried on that love and and seen that need. So tell me about, um, let me make sure I get it right, RCI, Respiration Camping Incorporated. Tell me about that group and how you have kind of, uh, um, well, just tell me where you're at with that. What is RCI? So RCI is the the camping organization that uh, was created so many years ago uh, to fill that, that need. And um, at, uh, you know, because, because the, their focus was on uh, nurturing kids, teaching kids uh, that even extended into the boardroom, uh, so to speak, we didn't really have a boardroom, it extended to the RCI board. And so they invited um, Aaron Bailey and Jeff Anger and myself when we were very young uh, we had we'd already been giving ourselves two camps as staff. Uh, they said, "Would you like to serve on the board?" And um, I, I want to say they invited Aaron, and about a year later, they invited Jeff, and then uh, and myself. And um, and since then, we have uh, we have continued the that service um, because we. I I, w- I I don't think that I'm presumptuous to say for Jeff and Aaron also, we see how it affected us. And uh, the the change it had on us, and we want for the, that for our kids and for the kids coming up. And my parents are um, are in their retirement years. They've uh, stepped down from the board and kind of trying to pass that torch and and see that it continues. And so, um, you know, we're on, I would say we're on the second generation of the RCI board. Um, where, you know, the first generation, uh, you know, my parents were kind of the directors of the board and Dan Keeler managed the database and um, Rob Sylvester managed the finances. Uh, now it's Aaron Bailey is the director um, and I've managed the database and Tanya Bosbach uh, manages the accounting. And, but the, but the board is, is bigger than that. Like it's not just these three families uh, we come together uh, mostly monthly, and we we talk about well, what what's the direction for this year, and then we, you know, where do we where are we going to have the camps? Because some years that's a question. Right now it's not, but um, there have been some years where that's a question. And how are we going to make all that work out? And and, and that just like that. So, what um, on any given um, on any given year, how many? kids number wise between all of your camps do you average do you know that number um i i don't have the exact number off the top of my head but it's it's in the 350 to 450 range okay 
And and you guys service uh, everyone from um, junior camp, which I don't know how young do you go usually. So that's uh, fourth through seventh grade is our junior camp. Okay, and then all the way up, do you sponsor the older youth, or do you end at high school? We there was a period when we sponsored the older youth camp, and uh, there was a year when um, uh, the Central Missouri branches uh, or somebody there wanted to um, to do that, and they're they're just. There aren't enough kids to have two of them, and so we we aren't doing one now. Okay, and you guys kind of pick a theme every year, yeah, to, and yeah. that spreads across all ages, all age groups, correct? Yes, for for the RCI camps, we pick one theme uh, for the year, and then each um, camp director will uh, kind of take their perspective on that Perfect. for their camp. Nice. Well. I want to, on behalf of all of the children and everyone, and my son included, who has benefited and continues to benefit from these camps, thank you for serving on that. And thank you for continuing to make sure there's a place to go. Um, I think any of us adults look back on our childhood and probably in the top, you know, three or four or five of our memories is at a camp somewhere Mm -hmm. and that experience with the Lord. And isn't that where we first really come to realize that he's real in the, the, um, the benefit of community mm-hmm. and just um, just being with like-minded people and discussing things of the kingdom is just, I mean, it's, it's, you can't put a price on it. Like the commercials, you know, the priceless, there's no, no uh, price on that. Well, the, the camps are important. And uh, so uh, you certainly, there, there will come a time when uh, we'll have to pass the torch on to another generation uh and we we look forward to that because we want to see this continue. It's uh, not about any person. It's about uh, this group effort of passing on a legacy for our kids. Amazing. Have you seen any changes over the years in kids or families, or um, do you see like the experience is still kind of the same? And that's that's nice. Or what do you? What's yeah, your you know, I think um, there's there's always change, and you know, we see that in our culture. Um, and we see uh, the culture, you know, culture gets manifested in the camps. And so we see that change. Um, but kids are kids like, um, kids are always in that, that mode. I mean, every, every kid goes through this phase of, you know, uh, I know what my, what I've been taught. Um, but is it true for me? And mm. searching that out and a camp camp is a place where, they get a chance to experiment a little bit on the word and um, worship with kids their own age and see um, that others besides their parents are teaching the same thing and, and having those same kinds of testimonies. And um, I think it's, it, that's the, I think the, what makes camping so great I mean, there have been times in history when we haven't had camps, so it's not like the church can't go on without camps. Right. But it's it's a useful uh, way for our kids to explore, and so it's good. That's a great perspective. I I enjoy your perspective. I enjoy. I've always enjoyed. We, you know, we've gotten together over a bowl of cheese dip at a Mexican <laughs> restaurant for the sole purpose of just talking on a topic. And um, well, I thought we were going for the cheese. Dip. <laughs> okay, okay, fifty-fifty maybe, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> or, or maybe different for each one of us. Um, you know, uh, 
I just wanted to ask you a very broad question and let this take your mind wherever you want. And it's purposely broad, but just share with me your testimony of Jesus. So, um, my testimony, it's, it's subtle. Uh, and that has, when I was younger, that used to bother me because I, I knew people, um, the, the people who came before me who were just really outspoken about their faith, uh, like a Steve Devera or a Dave Downs, who had these really powerful conversion experiences. And I could, I looked in my own life and thought, well, I believe in God and, you know, I, I want to do what's right. And I try to, you know, in my, even in my personal time, like I'm, I'm not just doing this to, to fit in, like this is my own personal choice, but but could I find a moment like they had where I changed and I couldn't ever put my finger on that. And, um, you know, if, looking back as far as I could in my life, I couldn't find a moment where I said, now I want to follow God. Like I just always felt like I wanted to. Um, and when there were needs, I would, my, my reflex was to go to God and ask for his help and when I did wrong, my reflex was to say, I'm really sorry, God, and to change. So I can't point to a, a conversion, but there was a period of time in my teen years or or early 20s where, um, you know, I would I would go to church and, and go through the motions, so to speak, but it felt like, felt like I didn't get ministered to like I wanted to, like, like I would go and say, I go because I believe in God and I want to worship him, but I don't feel like we always worship. And that was a, you know, kind of an angst for a while. And, um, I, as I would reason about that and try to figure, try to understand that, I came to recognize a couple of things. The first was that, um, I did feel that worship sometimes, and I felt it most often when I was at camps. So this goes back to kind of my commitment to the camps, like why I give my time there, because that's where I first, I could first point point to, yes, I felt worship. I had a worship experience here. I worshiped God here, um, but that it it really wasn't the first time. It was just the you know the first one that I could point to in that moment when I was saying why is it that I'm 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 struggling with this, and and um, and the second thing was that you know I was I was struggling because I recognized the difference. It wasn't it wasn't that um, it, it was something that was missing. It, there was something that I was longing for that wasn't there all the time. There would be glimpses of it moments in our regular Sunday worship. But for me, it wasn't always there. It was more consistent at the camps for me. Um, but because I hadn't noticed it, it was like, it was this ambient thing that um, I experienced f- frequently, not always on a Sunday morning at church, but most powerfully for me anyway at the camps. And so that was when, um, for me, I would say, it all came into focus like, okay, yes, I am converted, but I didn't have that, you know, prison experience or 
flash of light experience like Paul had where everything changed. It was, you know, from whatever young age it was, um, I had made a decision and I, it was so long ago I didn't remember it. Um, and, and then, of course, when I was eight, I made the decision, yes, I want to be baptized. But it was even before that. It was like beyond my, beyond my, my recollection. I think you're not alone in that. Um, it's it's so uh, t- maybe tempting when we read those remarkable experiences in the scriptures. I go there in my mind, like well, I haven't had that. But um, but you know when the scriptures say we're, we're to train up a child and raise him up in the Lord, and when you have parents that do that, um, what a great testimony that is. That it's like well, I've I've just always wanted to do that. I mean, right. yeah. what what a wonderful. Um, parents um to, to bring you to, to that point well it, it shouldn't be yes parents um are my parents were great i i am definitely indebted to them and wouldn't trade them for anyone i love how they ra- they trained me but let's but i like for us to always remember that uh a parent does the training the kid does the deciding mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I decided early, um, different people decide at different times. And so you can have all the good training right. and a kid, kids still might choose differently. Like we can't, we shouldn't put too much on the parents. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good advice. Good perspective. That's why I like talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you know, sometimes things go south and, and parents can really internalize that as well. And, um, that's good. The, the, the child does the deciding. So, um, I mentioned earlier our many meetings over cheese dip or mm-hmm. um, just getting together. Um, you know, I know you guys have had us over and we've had you over. I like just talking similar to what I do with Corey. You're one of those people that I've always um, appreciated their perspective, whether it's in Sunday school. Um, I know when you raise your hand or start to talk, there's something not to lift you up, but something good's coming, whether I agree with it or not doesn't matter. It's going to challenge my thinking and it's going to probably be a perspective that I appreciate. And, and more often than not, I do agree with it. It's, it's, uh, it's beneficial either way. So I thought just because that's unique probably to our relationship, why don't we just pick a couple of topics and just throw it out there and say, Aaron, what do you think about this? So I, I wrote down one and you, you feel free to pick whatever you want. But since we're in Sunday school right now, Talking about faith at first glance or at first thought, it may be, oh, again, the other, the basics, you know, back to the Hebrews and the foundations of the gospel, faith, repentance, baptism. Why are we going over this again? But I see as this class is progressing, we do, um, we do have a need, I think, to continually consider. So talk to me about faith and how you see that topic. Or how have you changed over the years in your understanding of that? Uh, I think it's natural for us to change through the years as we we learn new things and we encounter different perspectives. And um, faith is one of those subjects that I just love. I love discussing and and learning about faith. And as a kid, um, faith was almost like... Um, power. Like when you had faith, you had power. And, um, as an adult, I 
I view it slightly differently, but I don't know for sure that um, it's necessarily not a power. Uh, just that, um, obviously, the power is God's, right? We believe we have faith in God, and um, there's this uh, perspective that I've had had for a long time, which is that we go to God with our requests and that then we, we wait expectantly, we hopefully, um, but that we don't have faith in that moment until we get an answer. And so, um, you know, I can go to God and say, God, would you do X for me? And I have no assurance of the outcome yet. I could flip a coin and that would be just as effective as at, at uh, predicting the outcome. I have no assurance. But when he says to me, yes, I'll do that. Now I have an assurance. Now I can walk forward. It's not yet manifest. It hasn't been granted yet, but he said, yes, I will grant it. So just like when he told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a mighty nation. Abraham then had an assurance. Abraham could act on that assurance. He could go do something saying, okay, this is where the ball is going to end up. It's not there yet, but it will end up that way. I have this assurance. So he can have, he can act in faith. So for me, um, for the last maybe 20 years, that's been my primary um, definition of faith, my working definition. And, um, to a large degree, I think that that is the most useful for me. Uh, others may have a different perspective on that. But I have have begun circling back to the other side of that coin. So when um, the woman who had an issue of blood went to Jesus and she wanted to be healed, um, she, you know, works her way through the crowd. And, you know, I can imagine her saying, I just need to touch him. And she reaches up and touches his garment, and he stops everything and says, you know, who touched me? And we know this story. But then she, he turns to her and says, when it's all said and done, he says, your faith has made you whole. Well, you know, for me, um, that doesn't line up with my definition, right? So it wasn't that he had told her before, if, if you can just come catch me, if you can catch the hem of my garment, you'll be healed. She wasn't operating in that way. She was operating with, the maybe it was the spirit telling her you need to go to him, uh, and and that would line up perhaps. But we don't have record of that, so we couldn't we couldn't read into that and say, well, that's well clearly that's what happened. We don't know that that's what happened. Um, what we know is that he said she had faith. She trusted in him, and so perhaps we could go back and say, okay. She was relying on a scripture that says, you know, go to the Lord and he'll make you whole. And so then she was trusting in his word. Um, so that, I, I don't know that I have an answer for that side of the, the coin. So there are times when I go to God and say, God, I, I just have a need. And I just put my trust in him. And that trust, um, it's trusting in his character. And so there's, I don't think it would be wrong to call that faith, but it's a different 
It's a different kind of faith. And so there's these two sides of it that, um, you know, I lean more on the side of, of wanting that assurance from him, going to him and uh, waiting for him to speak back and say yes. Um, not that I won't continue to petition him if at first he doesn't answer, but if he answers with a yes or a no, I don't have to continue petitioning. Now, now I have an assurance. And so uh, one way or the other, like, you know, sometimes he says no, and I had to just say, okay, like, I trust that that's the better thing. Um, so anyway, that's faith is, faith is complex. And I think is worthy of our, of our study. I like your mind and you, you may already be aware, but I mean, I see the computer programmer in you, uh, or, or maybe, maybe I see your mind here, which lends itself to your vocation, but, um, I just see how logically things laid out and, and they seem to be oftentimes practical um, application for us. And so that's that kind of revolved around that in my mind. I like that. I was I was reading in um, Alma one day, this was a couple of years ago, that started me on this long journey of studying faith because I came across one sentence and it said, and, and basically said, he who uh, exercises faith unto, unto repentance will be saved. And then it goes on to describe that those that don't exercise faith under repentance, of course, um, have a have a worse outcome, have the opposite <laughs> outcome, <laughs> which none of us want. And something just hit me. It's just one of those times where it hit you. I realized that there is um, so there's a condition or a status of being in our life that involves faith unto repentance. Like it has to have a its its desired um, outcome is is to be changed or, you know, we can define repentance how we want. I, 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 in my mind, define it as transformed into that, the creature that Christ intended me to be that whole process. So I realized that, um, not only is it under important to understand faith, but it has to be doing something within me to bring about that outcome or, um, well, we could debate whether we even have faith or not. But anyway, that was just a step up to me. And then I saw that. And then I started looking at the word and I realized like sometimes in the scriptures it's used as a noun, like something we possess. And then other times we're talking like you were saying, like it's something that we at different times we do or it requires action. And then at other times we possess it. You know, your faith has made you whole. It's almost like it's something that you have inside already, a belief. But but then I get back to like words are so interesting and, and whatever word you use, we're, we're, we're describing something greater, like a spiritual mm-hmm. thing and words have their limits. So whether we say faith or hope or belief or exercising, it's all describing a process and we're limited by our words, but something should be happening within each one of us. I like words and uh, I I dive into them sometimes and try to, find the, the word patterns in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the authors of the scriptures, uh, we sometimes say they were, they were common people like you and I, um, and they were, but they, at the time of life, when they wrote what we now hold as scripture, um, they were walking closely with the Lord. And so, um, in the Lord, uh, worked upon them in certain ways to record certain things. And so I, I find a great deal of um, confidence in the words that they chose 
knowing full well that they're not all perfect, mm-hmm. but that um, they have they have survived the test of time better than the words that I come up with off the cuff generally. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I like them, and uh, so I find I find great meaning there. I like those a lot. It's hard for me to. Um take myself out of a situation and realize like, you know, at one point in time when, when, when Jesus is giving his, uh, you know, his whatever expounding on faith, like he's speaking in a different language to a different group of people. And, mm-hmm. and like, and then here mm-hmm. I am trying to, uh, read it in English and, um, and, uh, I don't ever want to go down the rabbit hole of, well, we don't really know anything. And, uh, you know, everybody's attached to their own meaning. Cause I believe, like you say, they're, they're sacred and things have been preserved. And uh, especially that's, that's the basis of our whole belief, right? In the book of Mormon, that God preserved a very pure word to come forth at a time for his purposes that allows us the plain and precious um, understanding of who he is and how to come to him. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that's incident interesting. What, uh, what other topic, or do you have any that you have been pondering on anything in your mind that you've been going over recently? You know, uh, I'm getting ready to, uh, teach a class at Colburn on, um, laying on of hands. And, um, I, so, so that's kind of where my head is right now. Recently, um, I was asked to preach and uh, often when I preach. Um, I look at the the monthly theme. When I was young, I didn't. I always felt like I need to be led by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to look at any other influences, and I'm not going to let any influences change or inf- or uh, redirect me. Whatever God wants me to say is what I'll say. But um, uh, as an adult, I've I have a slightly different perspective that you know God's working with the pastor, uh, presumably. Like right, we all mm-hmm. we all believe that that uh, he's led him in a certain way and um so i should i should probably start there and see you know where god is going to lead and um that month the the theme was come under christ and continue in fasting and fasting is not a subject that really resonates with me and um so i i really had to like Okay, God, if this is this is the direction I need to go, you're gonna have to teach me because uh, through my years, fasting has not been this powerful tool like it seems to be for for many, and so I had to to really dig in, and so I asked him to just teach me, and he did. He opened the scriptures to me in a way that um, isn't like it's not your everyday. Uh, he led me down a path and. Um, and took me to ultimately to uh, Isaiah 58 and um but as part of that he showed me a word pattern in Matthew that um that I hadn't noticed before and it was a word pattern that that Matthew used to transition from one idea to another and so um in Matthew 6 we have um partway through and again, or and comma, and again, comma, and he uses this, Matthew, or the author, presumably it was Matthew, um, used this to change subjects. And it's, it's not a frequent use, but it is a consistent use. Um, and so partway through chapter 6, he does that, and he changes subjects. 
And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, I mean, the Lord led me to that, but I didn't understand it at the moment why that was important. And um, when I began this study on fasting, uh, I, I had in my head like, okay, I need to end up in Isaiah 58 because like I, for me, Isaiah 58 is all about fasting. And, but God didn't take me there. In fact, he kept saying, no, I want you to go study this and this and this first. And, and I just didn't understand. But um, he kept taking me back to Matthew chapter 6. And I didn't understand that either. I just kept reading it over and over. And, um, but stopping at that, at that break where he, he, you know, the author goes on to talk to the disciples about going into all the world. So the, the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 here is, God is telling me is about fasting. And then finally I felt this release, like, okay, now you can go to Isaiah 58. And so I did. And as I was reading through Isaiah 58, I saw it line up with Matthew chapter 6. I had never seen that before. And, um, you know, Isaiah 58 talking about fasting and how um, they used to use it basically to get attention and to say, hey, I am close to the Lord now because I'm fasting. And um, so he, they they use the words to be heard on high, like um, I'm going to fast so that God will hear me or so that other people will hear me. And he said, this is not what fasting is about. But um, instead, it's to deal your bread to the poor and to, it's it's about something more. It's about something deeper. And when when you line up each of the points, each of the things that in Isaiah 58, they line up with the same things, not, not exactly in the same order, but you, if you, if there's like six things, I didn't count them, but let's say that there's these six, six things, you find all six in Matthew chapter six and you find all six in Isaiah 58. All of them are covered. And there's, there's not one that I would say was in one, one section and not the other. Like, they are saying the same thing. End of sentence, that's it. And the difference is, Isaiah uh, does it kind of in this free-form way, um, and Matthew did it in a poetry way, a Hebrew poetry way, where the center of his, his chiasm was the Lord's Prayer. And um, the, what he keeps saying over and over in Matthew, with what Jesus is saying over and over as Matthew records it, is that where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And Isaiah was making the point that what you are fasting for is not the thing that you received. Like you say you're fasting about this, but what you really wanted was attention. And so you got your treasure, which was attention. And Jesus is saying the same thing, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. So make sure your focus is right, and your fasting will work for that. Um, but I, for me anyway, and I, I would say that I'm still studying, still trying to understand, um, but for me anyway, uh, it comes down to this, that when I go to God, I have a desire, the thing that I'm, I'm going to him about. And when that desire is intense enough, it may become fasting. Like, there's nothing I want more right now, God, than this. Like, I'm not even going to take a break to eat. This is the only thing I'm thinking about. Um, that becomes my treasure. 
That's the, the thing I desire. And then he will hear and answer that desire. You know, again, like with any prayer, uh, so fasting and prayer, are, in my mind, are inseparable. Uh, fasting is more like the outgrowth of intense prayer. But with any prayer, his answer may be no. Like, I can go to him and say, you know, would you would you heal me? And he might say, no, no, this is this is for your growth, like or or whatever. Um, so just just because we fast doesn't mean we're going to get the thing we want. But when we fast, because everybody's fasting, that's the wrong. That's not our treasure. We're just doing it because. Or if we just always fast on a certain day um, because we want to get closer to God, uh, I, 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 at least for myself, struggle with that, that notion of fasting is a way to get close to God. I don't think that way. And for me, fasting is what happens along the way. Mm. Like an outgrowth of your desire or yeah. like a natural um, outgrowth of... I would say I would say an outgrowth of my desire. There are examples in Scripture where fasting was prescribed. So you know, in Nineveh, um, the king said, "Everybody, put on sackcloth and ashes, and we're going to fast, and mm-hmm. maybe God will hear us." Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I look at that; it was effective, right? They didn't get destroyed, uh, so they did what they thought they could. They, like, let's throw everything into the pot, like. I don't care what, like, the only thing that matters is that God doesn't destroy us. And so they threw everything in. And, um, but I can't say that that wasn't effective. Like, they weren't destroyed. So, uh, but I, so I can't, I wouldn't discourage, intentionally discourage anyone from fasting because um, everybody needs to have, come to their own understanding of what works. For me, um, fasting is the outgrowth of my prayer. When I, when I go to God with an intense desire, um, it may be that I will choose to fast in that process. But I would say that my focus is on making sure my desire is, fo- is focused. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not doing my prayer. I'm not doing my fasting for any, other, um, any other reason. I don't, it shouldn't matter if anybody knows. Right. Um, and it's, it's almost counterproductive if everybody else is doing it because now I, now I question like, am I doing it just because everybody else is doing it? Um, for me, uh, fasting is very much about me and God talking and my desire building and building like there are times we go to God and say, God, I've got a runny nose. Can you heal me? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, when I go to God and I talk to him as my father, I go, I talk to him just like my real dad, dad, uh, I cut my finger. Can I have a bandaid? Like there's nothing wrong with that asking for a bandaid. Um, and just like that, you know, I go to God and I talk to God all the time about everything. Um, so, it doesn't. There's nothing wrong with going to God for those little things, but those little things are like a fraction of our desire. Mm-hmm. You know, if if God never paid me a, a moment's attention when I have a, a runny nose, 
would I, would I be broken up over that? Like, no, I mean, a week to 10 days, I'm, my cold's <laughs> going to go away. Right. right. Um, it isn't my strongest desire. There are lots of things that I desire more than that cold being relieved. Mm-hmm. And so to skip a meal doesn't change the fact that that desire isn't my strongest desire. So when my desire, the thing that I'm approaching him is my strongest desire, it may be that it's so strong, that desire is so strong that I can't even think about eating. Mm-hmm. That would be, for me, the perfect um, manifestation of fasting. That my desire is so strong, I just really can't think about anything else. Like I go into the woods to pray, I go into the woods to hunt, excuse me, I go into the woods to hunt and I can't even hunt because my desire is so strong for my neighbors. Interesting. So that is, the desire is the thing. Gotcha. The the desire is the thing. That's a great perspective. I remember very vividly one morning I I do home health and I was, I I usually take a little food uh, in the car and for mid morning uh, breakfast, I don't like to eat when I first get up. And so I, I was driving down this road heading into Kansas city and it was a beautiful sunrise that day. And I was praying to the Lord, felt his spirit with me. And at that moment, I just felt moved on like, I'm not going to eat this morning. I don't even want food to come into my body and make me feel the least bit groggy or have any rebound sugar issue or um, any type of digestion going on. I just want to feel alert and in this spirit of meditation and praying to the Lord. And um, and I realized at that moment, I guess, I thought, well, I'm, I guess this is fasting, um, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't start out with a cognitive. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to fast three mm-hmm, meals. It mm-hmm. was more out an outgrowth of what I had started out doing in prayer, and it, that's interesting. I have never heard it described like that, but that perfectly sums up that moment. Was like, I don't want food. I don't want anything to come between me and the spirit right now. I just want to revel where I'm at. So mm-hmm. interesting. That's that's ah man. I love I love talking about these things with with you. You know. Um, People, several of my of my friends, you and, and a couple others, have saw, have talked about how um, they like my perspective. And um, for me, that is a warning sign that if I'm always out in left field, um, I'm probably not where I need to be. <laughs> uh, you can't be. I can't be the the if if I'm the only one. If I'm always unique, then I'm probably not right. Um, in general, I would say that most people, the consensus tends towards accuracy. I mean, I mean well, that may not be right. I don't know. What I would attribute, what I, I guess, if I summed it up, sometimes because I am not a logical engineering thinker like my father, who's an engineer, um, a lot of times I feel things and I can't connect. Always, I'm doing better at it, but I can't always connect my brain to my heart or my spirit as well. And so, what when I say I appreciate your perspective, what I often find is you put into words things that I, I guess, as you say them, things that I knew, but I didn't know that I knew, or I was never able to verbalize. And so, once it's almost like once I hear you share a perspective, it's not like it's in left field, but more of. Yes, that's much clearer than I could have put it, but that's what I've experienced or what I believe. And so I 
I um, sometimes the most beautiful things I think are the simplest things, and yet they're the hardest thing to get to because it seems like there's, a, there's even a well in the scriptures it says the Jews stumbled for the simpleness of the way. It's like the our minds don't want to find that, and so it's always striving I think for that simplicity that is the struggle. And so anyway, I find you are able to oftentimes bring out those things. And so, yeah, no, I, I, that's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you're in left field all the time. Maybe, maybe 17%. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I can sometimes articulate things in a way that is useful. And that's, that's Hopefully. a gift, right? We, the body of Christ, we have different if, – if no one – well, you're interesting, though, because you are an artist. You love music. I know you dabble in um, painting, and you have so many talents. Uh, I feel like – well, people are different. But anyway, for me, sometimes I feel like the artistic um, side, which is very emotional, very um, – which if we had no artists in the world, can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. It'd be boring. I mean, it's, it's beauty is what – Art, to me, is what reminds us that we are not made for this world because it, it allows us to see beauty and it creates a longing within us. And we know that we are made for something else um, when we see beauty, when, it, when, when this longing wells up and we don't know what it is, but we just know we're created to be with it. Mm-hmm. But it never lasts. It, it doesn't. And I suspect that's because um, that longing can only be filled by one person. Yes, so yeah, someday he will fill that for us. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, or, or one of the things I read was interesting. They're like, a fish doesn't know that they're created for water until you take them out of the water and sit them on the table, and they begin flopping around for a while. And mm-hmm. then they realize, whoa, this is not the environment. This environment cannot sustain me forever. And then you put them in the water, and they are back where they were created to be. And I, I picture me as that fish flopping around. Like, mm-hmm. I could survive for a while and maybe 80 years, but... I am not uh, created to be in this environment forever. And yet, well, now we're going. We're, we'll be here for hours. <laughs> well, and yet say, I was created for this environment. I, I, was, I was just about to say, like, I know. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go into another hour now. I know. We, I know. Well, you know what? We can always uh, come back and, um, and just do uh, dialogue again. That's the nice thing about podcasts is um, I think it's unlimited potential. So... Uh, Aaron, anything else? Thank you for coming this morning. My pleasure. I, uh, I enjoy just hanging around and, and jumping into some subject and saying, yeah. exploring it. You know, um, I think that we, we sharpen each other right. and we, we explore. Uh, I, I find it in myself that I kind of almost think out loud. Like I, mm-hmm. I'll say something and then think, you know, actually, that doesn't line up either. Like, and I, and I just explore it, and then somebody else says something, and that triggers another thought, and um, that's useful. It's helpful. That's cool. That's that was the premise of Restore Gospel Podcast was two friends just talking about the things of eternity, often and saying, "I wonder if people would like to sit in on these conversations." And just we're having them anyway. Let's record them. And so, the danger I think is people that people may want to think that you're portraying a system of beliefs or whatever. And more often than not, we want to sort, certainly speak truth and come to truth. But a lot of times we are thinking out loud and, um, and I don't, we don't have everything nailed down. And so mm-hmm. 
Um, anyway, rather than being a place where people go for answers, like there's plenty of those podcasts out there. I like to just be a place where we talk about the things of eternity and that gives the Holy Spirit a tool so that everybody that's listening, the Spirit says, yes, that's true or no, that's wrong, but here's what I want to show you about that or or they are, are then intrigued, you know, but it just gives the Spirit a tool when you hear that to work in your heart. And so that's, that's what uh, we're doing now and... Um, so stories of the saints, I always say, Aaron, you're a saint. Um, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> we like to define saints in different ways, but my, and people may cringe at that, but I say this, we were all created to be saints or followers of the Lord, and that doesn't mean that we're perfect or yeah. that we are yeah. to be held up, and yet that's one of the terms I think people use as saints through the ages, but there are saints today. We could change that word if you feel more comfortable. You are a good friend, a brother in Christ, and a sinner who's seeking the Lord. I am those things for sure. And, you know, uh, saint is one of those loaded terms that, you know, colloquially means perfect or or revered. Right. But in our church, saint means a member. Right. And so, yes, I'm a member. I am, yes. I'm a saint in that I'm a sinner <laughs> who has learned to repent. And on that day, the podcast name changed to Stories of the Sinners. <laughs> that's uh, that's true as well. But um, anyway, hey, thanks for being here. Um, My pleasure. I appreciate it. I love uh, seeing your family in church. Um, I love, um, well, I love your nature, your gentle nature, and just your um, ability to share um, your understanding of the kingdom with others. So. God bless, and thanks for being here. My pleasure, and next time we need to have some queso. <laughs> Done, but uh, does that go well at 7.30 in the morning? I, I can eat queso anytime. Excellent. We're done. Done. Queso and Diet Coke. That's it. That's it. <laughs>